Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Kayla Parker, and in this episode, I have a chat with one of the most connected women in commercial real estate, Susan Freeman. Susan shares why she believes third spaces will play a role in bringing back life to the high street. We get to hear some of the backstories from our favorite guests on our own Property She podcast, including founder of Regis, billionaire and CEO of IWG, Mark Dixon. Then we go on to talk about breaking rules and challenging the norms in commercial real estate, transitioning back to the office safely post-pandemic, including the importance of good air quality, and how we're going to see a movement of building owners bringing in professional operators of space as a service. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or email podcast at workbold.co. Before we roll into this episode, a quick message for our sponsor. Drum roll, please. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by the woman who knows everyone, according to BizNow, who listed her in their 51 most influential women in UK real estate list in 2018. I'm thrilled to be chatting with Susan Freeman today, who is a partner at law firm Mishkan Derea, an experienced real estate lawyer, her in-depth understanding of the property market and business training as a Sloan Masters graduate from London Business School, combined with her wide circle of contacts in the commercial real estate industry, helped make Mishkan Derea's program of events must-attend networking opportunities. Now, we've included her bio in the show notes down below for this episode, but I also want to point out that Susan also mentors for PyLab's Accelerator Program for PropTech Startups. She's a regular speaker on the PropTech circuit as well. She also is on the advisory board of industry publication Property Week, Space as a Service Operator, Work Life, and is an active member for a number of property-related organizations, including the British Property Federation and the Urban Land Institute. Finally, she's active on Twitter and can be followed at PropertyShe with over 11,000 plus followers and hosts the Property She podcast in association with London Real Estate Forum. Now, in this podcast, which you need to go check out, she interviews an eclectic mix of property personalities that define and make a difference to our industry. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Sorry about the uh, lengthy intro. No, it's great. I think it's important for everybody to, to, that don't know you to, to understand uh, what an all-star you are in this industry. Thank you. That's, that's very kind. Of course. Now, your podcast, I want to dive in about that because I've listened to episodes myself. I'm a subscriber, and I think everybody should subscribe who's in commercial real estate. But I wanted to give you an opportunity to sort of talk about the podcast, maybe give a shout out to some of your guests who've impressed you in the industry. Uh, I know we were recently talking, if, if you don't mind me saying, about Jacob Loftus. Well, I think it, it, it would probably be worth talking about how it started because uh, it goes back about a year and a half. And I never thought about hosting a podcast. And um, I, had, um, I had an email from... Natasha Guerra, who um, is the founder and CEO of Runway East, which is a workspace provider. And she sent me an email and said, look, um, you know, there are a few people in real estate who have started doing podcasts, um, but there aren't any women doing it. And I think you'd be really good. I think you should do it. 
And initially, I thought she'd sent this to a few people. Like, you know, so I, I thought, well, you know, nice idea. And then she um, she made it clear that she'd only sent it to me. And I felt, well, you know, it would be rude not to give it a go. So um, I decided that uh, the best way of theming it would be just people I think are influencers in real estate and the built environment. And um, I thought it would just be useful to try and capture you know, the wisdom of some of these people and their personalities because a lot of people won't get to meet them. And I suppose I'm fortunate you know, I do get to meet a lot of people in real estate. So that's how that's how it started. So I'm I'm grateful to Natasha for starting me on that path. Um, but I don't know who you interviewed when you did your first podcast, but rather than go for somebody that I knew quite well, who, you know, would do it on a sort of friendly basis, I decided the most interesting person around at the time was Brendan Wallace, the co-founder of Facebook. BC Fund, who I'd not met, but I knew I'd met him on social media. I knew he was coming over to London from Venice Beach, California. And I said, Brendan, you know, can we record a podcast? And he said, yes. So we just arrived in the studio. And I remember, you know, I was terrified. I'd not done one before. And Brendan sat down and said, oh, you know, have you done many of these? I said, no, this is my first one. And then, you know, we proceeded to talk about everything, you know, to do with um, technology in the built environment and it was fascinating but because it was so fascinating it went on for far too long and I then had the problem of you know should we divide it into two you know separate parts and <laughs> yeah. you know, all this so those are the sort of things you learn as you as you go along because I was told that nobody would want to listen for you know longer than about 30 minutes um so it started with Brendan and that was fantastic and you know I just you know Every, I think every guest I've had has been, you know, just so interesting and different. And, um, you know, I think the only the only common theme is that they are somehow involved in the uh, in the built environment. And I think that they uh, that they're they're interesting. So um, and many of them actually now so somehow interlink. They will, you know, they will mention each other and that then leads on to another podcast. So, you know, for instance, Peter Pereira Gray, who's got an amazing role as the uh, managing partner of Wellcome Trust and their investment director and controls $35 billion worth of global investments. I mean, he came on recently because Ian Marcus, another guest, had mentioned him. And so it goes on. So, I'm, you know, I really enjoy it. I love asking questions, as you probably do as well. And what's, you know, really satisfying is I get a lot of the like younger people in the industry just getting in touch and saying, well, that's fantastic. I've not met that person that, you know, that was really interesting. Well, it is, it is very interesting. And, and I found doing this podcast being um, very insightful and just being able to meet some of the superstars in our industry has been wonderful. You know, I listen, I just recall listening to, uh, you know, one of your episodes, you interviewed Mark Dixon, the founder of Regis or IWG. And that was, <laughs> he's such a character to listen to. And uh, just, just curious, do you, do you have any, um, any any favorites that you want to talk about um or i know you talked about brendan already yeah no exactly and i mean it's interesting that you you mention you mentioned mark because i've known him i mean virtually since he started regis and i therefore you know so obviously it was an obvious choice to ask him to 
to be on the on, on the podcast. But what I find, you know, particularly fascinating is that people are now talking, and we'll, I know we'll get onto this, people are, are now talking about the third space and different ways of working. And it's something that I remember Mark talking about 25 years ago. And I remember he came to give a presentation to us at Mishcons and he was saying, well, People don't need to travel to an office. They can just plug their computer in at a work centre and work like that. And that was even before, you know, we had any idea we would have a, you know, computer in our pockets. And, uh, you know, at that time, mobile phones were like a sort of brick that you had to sort of lug around with you. So, you know, he certainly, you know, a visionary. And then, you know, if you take you take Mark, Charlie Green of the office group who, I've also interviewed, you know, these are guys that have been in the industry, you know, for a long time and they've been through, you know, the financial crisis, they've been through recessions, um, you know, so it's quite interesting talking, you know, to people that have been through uh, the different different cycles. And then you mentioned, um, you mentioned Jacob Loftus and Jacob was my most recent guest. And, you know, I think he's absolutely fascinating because he's the next generation of real estate. You know, he's very clear about what his priorities are, you know, design, sustainability, social value. And, uh, you know, it just is just so interesting to hear from somebody who has, you know, a different viewpoint and I suppose represents the sort of age group that are going to be our office workers of the future. And at the end of the podcast, he taught, you know, I said, what do we have to do to get, you know, more young, bright people into real estate? He said, they're there, but, you know, we need to give them, you know, more influence because they understand, you know, what the um, sort of office, the customer, the office worker, you know, of the future is actually going to want. Uh, it's absolutely right. And uh, I, have, I have mad respect for Jacob. I remember the first time I saw him on a panel at one of the events that that here in London, and he was wearing trainers um, or what we call <laughs> or what we call in the U.S. tennis shoes, <laughs> and um, I, I don't know if they were Converse or Nike or whatever, but um, I remember they were red, <laughs> and I'm sitting there in the audience and thinking that's that's my that's my kind of mate right there because. Um, you know, typically in commercial real estate, it's been known as, you know, suit and tie uh, and male dominated. Um, and uh, for, you know, Jacob to break that sort of that that rule, not the male dominated part, <laughs> but uh, just to be clear. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm walking in with my bold T-shirts on and, you know, maybe a blazer and sometimes a hoodie. And it just it, I just completely related right away to Jacob. No, I, I'm with you. And I, I'm glad you mentioned shoes because, you know, I, I quite often will go along to uh, like a conference panel event and I'll be taking photos of the shoes that the panellists are wearing because I find it sort of quite uh, in, interesting in terms of, uh, you know, how they want to portray themselves. But Ross Bailey, who runs a peer here, who, again, has been one of my my guests, um, you know, he, he is also, you know, particularly laid back and... Oh, yeah. uh, Wears, wears interesting, interesting footwear. And uh, I seem to remember taking photographs of leopard skin trainers that he was wearing at one of the <laughs> ProTech events. But um, yes, actually, I mean, before we get off, off the subject of, um, you know, my, my guests, I mean, we obviously are living through strange times at the moment. And one of the positives is that um, uh, people who would normally be just you know, jetting all over the world to work on their projects aren't able to. So I was I was able to interview Thomas Heatherwick, uh, you know, who 
as far as I'm concerned, is the quintessential uh, designer. You know, he designed the uh, Olympic um, cauldron. He designed the vessel in uh, Hudson's Yard. He has just designed the Cold Drops Yard at, um, at, at King's Cross. And he's so interesting. And I mean, nor, you know, there I was interviewing him digitally. He was sitting in his bedroom, and I just thought, you know, this is so, this, you know, this is so bizarre. I mean, it was fantastic to have the opportunity to talk to him. And there I was, you know, sitting in my bedroom at home, and he's sitting in his in his bedroom. But we had a, you know, great a great conversation. And uh, you know, normal circumstances, people, you know, are travelling, and it's difficult to um, it's difficult to get the time. Well, I think that's uh, a, a very much a clear new definition of the new normal. Um, and but I think I think that the times we're in where things are slightly more relaxed. I mean, you, you would never have thought before that you would be talking to somebody and admitting that you're both in in your own bedrooms. <laughs> um, but today, I mean, this is what we do. And I think when we talk about the Jacob and and Ross wearing the 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 trainers, um, and it just it just shows that. You know, we, while we are in a serious business and a serious industry, we're still people, and um, we we have sides to us that aren't always serious, and that's okay. And I think now, because of the times we're in, now it's automatically for everyone, it's okay and it's understood. So I hope we can bring some of that into the 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 real world um, when this pandemic is over. No, I think that's right, and it's interesting that you say that about people because one of one of the quotes that you know stuck with me from the interview with Jacob he said we are in the people business not the property not the property business and he's absolutely right you know you are designing places for people so um you can't lose you can't lose sight of that and sometimes we do lose sight of it slightly i think in the real estate sector but it is it is a people business well, that's 100% right, and and I think most of our conversation today will be talking about the people in in our business. But before we dive into some of that, I do want to talk. What, I just want to touch on one one property bit, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, only because you know you guys are a law firm. Uh, with the coronavirus act that's um that's you know th- that's come out here in the UK, I'm sure. You guys are fielding lots of questions from from everyone around lease liabilities. Are you getting a lot of uh, a lot of questions about that? <laughs> yes, you could you could say that. Um, you know, certainly uh, at the at the outset when we hit the March um, quarter day, and uh, the government said you can't uh, you can't forfeit you can't take certain uh, pro, you know proceedings a lot of a lot of occupiers saw that as a green light to not pay um, not pay not pay rent and uh, yes we had a flurry of activity pouring over lease provisions together with insurance policies because obviously everybody has their insurance cover, but they don't often have to um, check it for pandemic. You know, what happens in a pandemic? You know, what happens if, um, you know, if we have to close the um, the shop? What happens, you know, if, if you know, tenants don't want to come to the building? So um, there's been an awful lot of uh, work going on between our property dispute teams and our insurance experts and some, you know, I suppose, you know, it's, it's sort of groundbreaking new legal areas. So, you know, looking at things that uh, we wouldn't normally have to look at. So, yes, there's been, um, there, there has been a lot of that. And then 
Of course, now, as we prepare to come out of lockdown, uh, a lot of discussion of what the responsibilities are and responsibilities that a property owner has, you know, coupled with the responsibility that the that the tenants uh, have. And um, the government has issued guidance and, uh, you know, one of the things we were talking about earlier is, you know, how much easier it is in China. When China came out of lockdown, the government issued a whole lot of regulations and protocols and everybody knew exactly what they you know, had to do in terms of masks and thermal testing and, you know, all, all the rest of it. So I think it's, it's difficult in that every property owner has to, you know, decide for itself, you know, what um, what's right and, and reasonable in the circumstances. Yeah, and and I think probably a lot of people listening right now would would like to us to go into a lot of details, but I want to be clear that we're we're not doing legal advice on the podcast. So thank um, you, thank you, we'll, Caleb. I appreciate you, that. Of course, so we'll we'll skim over that part, but I do want to come back to the people because I think whenever um, you know various countries in in the U.S., different states, and I know we've had some relaxation of social distancing. There's been some some confusion, some clarifications on what we can and can't do. But ultimately, we are going to get back to going into the office again, hopefully. And I think the number one concern right now, as it should be, is safety. And and I know in reading some of your work, you're very tuned into air quality. So I wanted to get your get your thoughts on air quality and why has that become sort of your the torch that you're carrying? Well, interesting. So, um, yes, why why am I focusing on uh, on on air quality? I think it interestingly, I think it I think it started pre um, pre this um, this lockdown because I am on the Urban Land Institute um, European Tech Council which is co-chaired by uh, Roloff Opperman um, and Ver- uh, from Fifth Wall and, um, and, and, and various others. And we had our meeting, must have been in February, in one of the edge technology buildings in Amsterdam. So we had the opportunity, we were taken around by one of the directors and, and, and told about, you know, they how they measure you know air quality and their sensors all around you know all around the building you know checking on sort of various aspects and you know wellness is a sort of huge focus and they you know even before this started you know they were regarded as you know leaders in in that field so you know you look at all this and and start thinking about it and then um when the covid crisis started, I was talking to, um, you know, Fifth Wall and, um, you know, because we talk about, you know, what new technology they're seeing and what's interesting. And we started talking about um, air filtration and and how that can, um, you know, filter out germs and viruses. And it just made me start thinking because I don't think any of us have ever really thought that closely about uh, you know, air quality, if you work in an office, you sort of know that in the winter you, you could be getting colds and, um, you know, flu because air gets circulated around the building. But you don't really know. And same, you know, when you go to when you go to a hotel and I suddenly thought, well, we're all going to be focusing much more closely on what the um, you know what the air system is is doing and is it just blowing air around you know is there you know air coming in from outside and 
what I think why I had this sort of light bulb moment. And, you know, when everybody you know starts talking about, well, yeah, of course, it's fine, social distancing, go back to the office, but keep two metres apart. You know, you're left thinking, well, that's that's part of it. But part of it is going to be just sort of making sure we understand, you know, how how the air system is is working and, and measuring quality and uh in China, um, they, you know, I've heard people sort of talking about, you know, in offices where they'll have a, you know, they'll have a sort of billboard where every tenant actually has a note of, um, you know, the air quality in their premises. And it's sort of a bit competitive as to, you know, who can have the best air quality. So I think, you know, obviously it's not something that happens immediately, but I think both in terms of wellness and sustainability, we are going to be looking much more closely at all these things. Well, Mark Tyson from Legal and General Investment Managers was on last season's um, podcast um, for the for us, and um, this was this was one CO two levels and and air filtration was one of his his big topics, and uh, he suggests that uh, assets that are get really good at that can tie productivity back to CO2 levels. And so he thinks that, um, you know, this was obviously before COVID. So um, I, I, I guess they're in the industry. This is being looked at, which I think is great. But are there, are there, can you name names? Are there any companies or solutions out there that you've seen that people should be tuning into? There's somebody that I've been following, um, you know, following conversations with Fifth Wall and um, it's somebody who specialises in this subject called Rafa uh, Wallace and uh, there's an organisation I think called Reset which has been you know focusing on wellness in buildings for some time and now suddenly everybody wants to uh, wants to know about it so he's certainly somebody that um, I'm planning to approach to do the um, to do the podcast because it's, um, you know, I can imagine that, you know, for years he's been talking about it and there's been limited take up and suddenly we're all thinking about it. One of the things I remember seeing in one of his presentations I saw initially, he was talking about, well, you know, this is a this is a warm up for climate change. You know, we really all need to start focusing on this because, you know, this is the way things things are going to go. So I'm hoping that rather than all just, you know, be so relieved when we're able to you know, exit lockdown and and start seeing people again, that we don't forget, you know, what we've learned during this period and how much nicer it is without traffic pollution, how we can see the stars and actually, you know, focus on, you know, reducing carbon footprint and making, um, you know, making our buildings uh, better places to, to work and live in. Sure. And Samantha McClary is really big on sustainability as well. And I think EG just reported on the uh, Great Portland Estates and their announcement around their portfolio and their sustainable measures they're taking and commitment to sustainability, which I think is all good stuff. And then more closely aligned with the COVID pandemic right now, people are talking about access control and, and hands-free and contactless. But I'm curious, in in your opinion, you know, while there is a lot of talk about making buildings COVID secure, once there is a vaccine in the future, whether that's in the next year or two years, I think that we're going to forget about coronavirus. I've said this before, you know, it's going to be like polio. We're not going to get worried. We're not worried about getting polio when we take public transport. So when we get to that stage, I'm hoping you talk about sustainability, but I'm hoping there's some changes that we're making now to be COVID secure 
that will have a long-term impact and that will stay intact um, long-term. What what do you think those changes might be? What, what do you what do you or do you think we're just going to go back to the way things were? Interesting, interesting question. I mean, obviously, a lot of people are, you know, making predictions, and it's very, it's very difficult to, to know. But sustainability is something that, you know, we take, you know, we take very seriously at Michigan Rare, and we have an ongoing initiative which started, you know, at the beginning of the year with Property Week on sustainability, and one of the concerns was that, you know, the distraction of this and, you know, obviously, you know, people fighting to save their businesses and and to keep keep going would mean that sustainability would somehow, you know, go on the back burner, if you'll excuse um, the pun, when we came out of this, this crisis. But actually talking to people like Peter Pereira Gray at Wellcome Trust, I, I'm actually convinced that it won't be allowed to. So after the um, you know financial crisis, that is what happened. It sort of somehow you know got pushed back. But I don't think that you know the the big investors and indeed the occupiers will allow you know real estate developers to drop the sustainability agenda because you know our new occupiers, the millennials, you know they're going to ask you know before they actually you know take on a lease or move into an office. They're going to be asking about the sustainability credentials of that um, of that building, and when I interviewed Peter Pereira Gray, I thought our main topic was going to be sustainability because I've heard him, you know, say that there is no way Wellcome Trust will be investing in an asset unless you know they feel that it does have social value, and I think that goes for a lot of the big investors. So I think. I think that will be, you know, that will still be there. That will be one of the, um, you know, that will be one of the changes. You know, in terms of other other changes, there's, you know, really so many people have said they can't believe, um, you know, how, you know, how they ever commuted to an office and they couldn't go back to commuting to an office. So I suspect we are going to see, we really are going to see some changes in the way, you know, people manage their work-life balance. Yeah, I think so too. And you mentioned third space earlier in, in in the podcast. And if we go back to you know Mark Dixon as a visionary talking about third space, I have to say um, I, I'm grateful for Mark Dixon because I was uh, I started my career in this industry um, with Regis back in Washington D.C. Uh, over a decade ago, and um, and we were t- we were talking about third space then, way ahead of. Well, way ahead of the time, but Mark Dixon was talking about it. You know, even you know, obviously, probably a decade or two before that. So, (laughs) yes, and uh, you're well. That I didn't know that, but um, I'm pleased. I'm I'm pleased to hear that that's where that's where you've started, and and you're probably you know amused in the same way as I am when I hear on panels people say you know as if it's a new idea. Well, we need to have you know suburban you know hubs so that people don't have to commute; they can actually go and work somewhere near home, as if it's a sort of new idea. But maybe this is the right time for it. Well, that's the thing. You know, you've got the headlines right now with Twitter saying that nobody has to come back to the office ever, and then you've got Avis and Young who's saying that you know through the end of the year people can choose. But you know, there's been loads of companies before the pandemic that had flexible working policies. PwC. And, and, and many companies just to, you know, have been forward thinking about this. But there's also loads and loads of traditionalists and conventional thinking where people 
thought that they needed to have people in the office to see that they were they were being productive and getting things done. But now that now that we've proven that the world can continue, well, hopefully we've proven that or we will find that out. You talk about the commute time. I mean, I know there's people that commute in sometimes two, three hours outside of London, whether it's by the train or, or driving. If, if if we're giving people the choice to work remotely, how do you think that's going to affect, I guess, commercial real estate in city centers, but also in the suburban areas? Well, I'm hopeful that there will be, we will see a sort of uptake of um, office use in 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 city centres and high streets because we're going to see a bit of a downtick in the retail element and there's always been this concern that you get these hollowed out suburban areas during the week and all you'll see is like you know young mothers with their children because everybody's gone to work you know in in central london or, or the center of you know another another city so it's very difficult for these places to have any vitality if nobody's there during the day. So I can, you know, if, if one could somehow, you know, encourage office use, make it, you know, interesting, um, and then that would support the local economy. So restaurants and cafes and, um, you know, and shops. And you could see it, you know, you could see it having a little bit of life, you know, again, during the week, rather than, you know, just seeing people there uh, at the weekend. So I think it could work really well. And if you can combine that with residential and having people living in those in those areas, you've got something that's got, you know, a chance of having, you know, of having r- real life and vibrancy. So I'm, you know, I hope I hope that will happen. But I think, you know, in the enthusiasm, you know, for suburban hubs, um, people have sort of that seem to have forgotten that one of the reasons, you know, we work in in London or we work in Manchester or, or any other city is that there's a buzz, there's stuff going on. You know, you're meeting people, there's, you know, there's music and, and clubs and, you know, bars and restaurants to go to. Um, and, you know, the, all the culture, all the things that people come to London for. So um, that, you know, I think is, is, is something that you will miss if you're not... Um, you know, working in the centre of a, a big city, some people don't like it. I mean, you know, I can understand people saying, well, you know, it's polluted and you can't get anywhere because there's lots of traffic. But, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of positive. And I've been having various conversations about, you know, London, London's resilience, you know, how we make sure that we compete, you know, to get our tourists back and, and make sure people are coming back to London when this lockdown finishes, because that's that's important as well. So there's going to be quite a lot of um, quite a lot of work to do to get sort of everything back on track again. And I suppose one of the, you know, one of the important parts of the jigsaw is London transport, because, you know, it's all very well saying, you know, cycle, you know, get on a bike or, or walk, but not everybody can, you know, cycle or walk to work. It's not really feasible for everybody to be driving into work, but, you know, people need to be able to get around. You know, if people are coming to London for business, they need to know that either it's safe to get on London transport or they can get, you know, a cab or an Uber to get to a meeting. It's interesting you talk about the the retail environments and the high streets. And for my U.S. friends, the high street is like Main Street here in the U.K., 
whereas there's this previously people always people always throw out is the office dead but prior to that people were saying is the high street dead <laughs> and there was this 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 shift away from the high street, which used to be these buzzing areas, like you're saying. So may, maybe, and one of the positive results that'll come out of this whole pandemic is when we'll see some of these third spaces popping up in those high streets where people will, like you say, maybe two or three days a week, those who can't work from home, but don't want to commute to the office will have a place to go. You know, we're, my company, we're engaging with a couple of retail landlords right now on how to bring space as a service into their 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 retail assets and to, to create a buzz. So if you think about right now, traditional third space is being cafes and coffee shops where pe- people go. Well, they're going to do the work where they can get some Wi-Fi and, and get out the house and they're getting service provided to them by the, the cafe. Well, they're eating at the cafe or drinking something. When they get finished, maybe they're doing some shopping nearby. So maybe there's an argument to be made that that, that could bring back the high street, like you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I think I think it could. And I think I think the problem has been just relying too much on on retail and 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 shops to be the lifeblood of these town centres because. You actually, in the same way as people are saying, well, you don't need to go to an office to work. People have been saying for quite a while, you don't need to go to a bricks and mortar shop to buy things. And again, you know, that's one of the things that has escalated over this lockdown period because shops have been closed. What do you do if you need something? You go onto Amazon or, you know, you go online and and, and you buy it. So even though people who weren't uh, buying online, who were still going to, um, you know, going to, to bricks and mortar shops have got out of that habit. The question is, you know, will those will those habits change? I, I, I think the answer is omnichannel. I think, you know, you'll do You'll go to a shop if it's interesting and you want to see things and you want to get advice and you want to talk to somebody about, you know, what you want to buy, you know, but but certain things you'll, you know, you'll buy online and that, um, you know, that's fine. Well, I suppose what's what's interesting is what's going to happen to you know, hair salons and nail, nails and uh, beauty salons. And I saw, some, you know, somebody was writing earlier this week saying, oh, well, you know, that's the end of them. People, you know, it's not going to be safe to go. But, you know, what's the first thing that's opened in Paris? The hair salons. And, you know, yeah. people, I think, are going safe or not because, you know, that, that's what, you know, that's what they want to do. And you can't do hair and nails, obviously, online. So, you know, things like that, you know, you, will be. Will can, be you, <laughs> can you imagine? I know a lot of people are doing these home workouts on you watching YouTube. But can you imagine somebody trying to cut their hair and do their nails by watching a YouTube video? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, interesting. Now, you know, I, we mentioned Charlie Green and um, he was looking, you know, he always looks immaculate and, you know, well turned out. And his hair still looked um, looked amazing after two months in lockdown. And so, you know, obviously I asked him about that and he's he's found a way to, um, you know, cut his own hair. Most people can't do that. I mean, it's an absolute nightmare. I think I think hairdressers are recommending that you wear a hat for the duration of the lockdown. You do not attempt to cut your own hair. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to put my hand up. I, I wear I wear my bold hats all the time, <laughs> for sure. I'll do a video calls with them sometimes. But uh, hey, you know what? I'm on brand, and we're in the new time right now, so it's okay. Um, I think um, before we move on to the next topic, which is related, but just you know, talking about third space for for a moment, I've I've heard 
you know, people talk about it's, you know, it's the the new generation that, you know, wants this or they want that or or the millennials, they want to be in a buzzy activity. So the city center is where it is. But I, I'm I'm wondering if you, if you agree with me and you don't have to. But <laughs> but I think some it's not a generational thing. I think it's a stage of life thing, because, you know, if you're uh, if you're at, at a stage of life where you're. And I'm just maybe not be politically correct here, but um, you know, you're single. You're going to go out after work. You're going to do some, you know, go to the pub, meet your friends, what, whatever it might be, dating people, etc. You might want to be in that city center, buzzy environment when you uh, typically. And I'm going to generalize, but you you get married or you know you have a life partner and you think about a family. People tend to go out to the suburbs. So, do you think it's a generational thing? Is it a stage thing that drives people to maybe want to take advantage of remote working closer to home? I'm. I. I don't know. It's also. It's also been a, a pricing thing because um, you know we talk about the fact that COVID has accelerated uh, pre-existing trends, and I think that was it was already happening because. You know, first-time buyers just weren't able to afford the sort of property that they wanted in London. So, you know, we're starting to to look, you know, outside and realising that they could get, you know, a really nice house with a garden um, if they were prepared to, you know, compromise because, you know, Yes, you know, every, one time everybody wanted to be, you know, in in East London. That's where it was all happening, and you know, that's great. But um, when you need to buy something, when you know, if you're getting married, you're having children, and you're thinking about schools, you know, there are there are other considerations. So I think I think that had started, but of course, over you know the last few weeks, everybody's you know been been saying, well, you know, they want green space, they want to be, um, you know, they want to be outside of, of the city. And um, I, I wonder if they'd be feeling the same way if, if we were, you know, in November now and it was sort of cold and wet, yeah, good point. And, you know, having to walk to the, um, you know, walk to the station or, you know, cycle to, you know, wherever it was that they were going to they were going to work. So you have to you have to sort of weigh all all that up. And, you know, it's not for everybody. You know, some people are definitely you know, city people, and they love the bars and the theatres and the restaurants and everything. And some people, you know, like growing tomatoes and, you know, actually having a quieter, quieter life. So I think, uh, you know, it's personal. It depends where your friends and, you know, your family are and, um, and, and what, and what you want. And, you know, I, I have to say, I'm, 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 as I said to you earlier, I'm, I'm I'm talking to you from the middle of the New Forest, so surrounded by you know ponies <laughs> and cows, and you know I'm you know it's, it's very it's very pleasant. But if you told me I wasn't coming back to you know to London and I wasn't going to my you know favourite restaurants and uh, you know going to see uh, people, I I'm not sure how happy I'd I'd be about it, especially with you know as the winter sets in and um, you can't be outside quite so much. Well, for those of you who've never been to the New Forest, um, not not only do they have a lot of green space, it, it, you can walk around and there's horses or ponies walking around with you, uh, wild but kind of domesticated. It's 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 a it's an amazing phenomenon if if you like if you like horses and, and ponies. Thank you for the explanation. It is. I always think it's so eccentrically English. I mean, you know, there aren't many places other than India, I suppose, where cows have right of right of way. And you know, the animals. You know, if the animals want to cross the road. You you have to you have to wait. 
Yeah, of course. Well, um, (laughs) this is the way I I was in the new forest uh, last year and the same thing, you know, you have to wait for the horses to cross the road and uh, you just take loads of pictures. Exactly. So it's a quieter, it's a, it's a quiet and you have to be prepared for a, you know, slower lifestyle. So, you know, in, in London, you know, you're rushing, you need to be at a meeting, you you know, you've got five minutes to spare. It's a slightly, you know, it's, it's a different pace of life. I would be, I would be concerned. So I, I live in, in just in, in Southeast London myself and um, the internet's pretty good, the, the, the Wi-Fi and the, the, the bandwidth, but I would be concerned going out in, you know, some of the, the suburban areas or even the rural areas of, um, of the UK, but the US or pretty much anywhere. How is the, I mean, we're talking now uh, over, over internet, but how is the connectivity usually for you? It's, that is a very, it's, it's a very good point. And I think connectivity was important before we started, um, you know, in this pandemic, but it's going to be absolutely crucial. If people are talking about working from home, it's, um, you know, it's an essential. And uh, there are lots of parts of the country where connections aren't aren't good enough. Um, and it's interesting you should raise that because there are four of us here all, you know, running our own separate businesses, all using uh, the internet. And the first problem was, you know, whether the internet uh, could cope. So we sent off to BT for some boosters, which actually have helped for the most part. Although sometimes, you know, we have to, we've got about 12 different devices uh, here. Sometimes we have to turn turn some of them off. But um, what we hadn't bargained for is power cuts. And we had a storm and just everything went off. And there was a like, shock horror what's going on you know my laptop stopped and we then had to wait for you know the guys you know to come along and um, you know a fuse had blown in the road so that was a couple of hours it went back on again and um, then it went off again and I think that happens a little bit here so we've now invested in um, in this sort of super size uh, generator thing so that um, we can plug into that if we have a problem but it's you know it's going to be the first thing that people ask if they're you know if they're buying or they're renting you know somewhere outside the metropolis and you know that we've been the government's been talking about you know rolling out the um you know the different systems we need and i think i think that's going to have to be accelerated you know this podcast is all about space as a service and and we, we've been uh covering the flex market and the growth of the flex market and i think if you we talk about third spaces and we look at the the remote working trends that are happening and then even this point here about uh connectivity outside of the metropolis uh, in the U.S., BizNow Biz did a, uh, a recent article talking about the um, the suburban flex offices growing massively or the demand for the flex offices in the suburban areas growing massively. And they, they gave an example in New York how there's a, a company that's just leaving the city, you know, whether they're leaving because it's too dense and they want to get out of the coronavirus uh, or any sort of germs environment. Uh, I, I don't think that's the answer. I think the it could be price driven, and now they have an excuse. But if if people if companies are looking for flexibility, and in in this example, this flex office provider about an hour outside of New York, which probably is only five miles, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> but but um they they had uh, in, inquiries uh, from a company for a hundred office hundred offices, probably a hundred people, and then another one in a couple of days later for thirty desks. If do you think that trend is going to come to the UK where companies look to 
have an exodus from the city center and go into to the suburban markets like that? If if yes, do you, do you think is it the price driver? What do you think is going to drive that? Or well, it should it should be driven by you know what their people want the people that work for them you know actually want and i suppose it you know it depends um you know what what area the business is in because you know there are a lot of businesses that don't need to have you know an impressive front of house showroom you know they may not be having many clients coming you know to them maybe they you know they go out to 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 clients and it makes sense i think i think a lot of people have um, assumed that they need their, you know, smart HQ offices because it's also, I suppose, part of um, attracting, you know, talent. People will come, they'll look at the work environment and decide, you know, whether this is somewhere they feel comfortable in or not. But if you've got, um, you know, the, you know, particularly the the younger generation saying, actually, that's not so important to me, I you know, I, I don't need that. I can be very productive either working from home or working from, you know, somewhere less less central. And maybe, you know, I'll just come into the main office for, you know, training or social things or, or whatever. It becomes very, very different. So I think it is, you know, I think I think everybody is having a, a rethink about how they run their business, you know, what they, you know, what they want, you know, what their, you know, people want and we'll see you know we'll see how much changes you know coming you know coming out of it i think the important thing is that people are thinking about it and thinking that actually just because this is always the way you know it's the way we've always done things we therefore have to continue doing them this this way but yes i will we'll, we'll see I, I i don't know i certainly you know spoken to you know some of the um you know flexible workspace operators, they are, you know, thinking uh, more, you know, seriously. I mean, people were thinking about the, you know, the third space and the suburban type uh, operations, but I think, I think they will be, it's, a, it's supply and demand, you know, if that's what, uh, if that's what businesses want, then that's what will, that's what will be provided. Well, it is supply and demand. And I think, you know, the, the, the uptick in demand for flexibility and, uh, in space as a service, um, there was a movement there prior to the pandemic, and I think we're going to see an, an acceleration of that movement. But in your property circles within the different associations that you belong to and the, the panels that you sit on, are you hearing concern in the in the property industry on if footprints shrink because people don't need as much space anymore, how that's going to affect the property industry? I think it's a question of sort of waiting, you know, waiting to see what what happens. And, you know, people talk about a lot of things and they'll say they'll do things differently. But, you know, time, you know, time will time will tell because there are there are reasons for, you know, wanting to have, um, you know, state state of the art offices in, you know, one of London's uh, prime locations. Now, question, you know, as to whether people are going to want, you know, more flexibility, that is, you know, that's possible. And I think, you know, we, you know, we've been talking about space as a service. And actually, I think, you know, everything that's going on is, you know, going to mitigate towards more flexibility, professional operators of office buildings, which, you know, we've, not necessarily, you know, done before. So you look at the hotel industry 
um, you know, somebody owns a hotel building, they're not necessarily going to, um, you know, expect to run it themselves, they'll bring in a hotel operator. So perhaps, you know, that is the, the direction we will be going in. Well, I can't. I don't think I don't think I can come up with a better way to end the, this part of the podcast because um, I, I we agree on that for sure. Well, excellent. Let's move into uh, my quick fire round, Susan. Just a few, three quick questions. So, uh, first question for you, Susan: Who inspires you in commercial real estate? I think it's probably fair to say no one person, but. What makes me so passionate about um, about the real estate sector is the diversity of the people that that I meet. I mean, it's just such, I think, such an industry, interesting industry in, in in that respect because you know you're 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 meeting people that have been in real estate for you know decades who are you know fascinating, have been incredibly successful. You know, you're meeting young entrepreneurs. You're meeting people you know on the tech side, and I, I that's what you know that's what it inspires me. It's just you know it's the diversity and you know the the different types of people. People I'm meeting, and the I suppose the opportunity to bring them together. That although it's a you know it's a relatively small sector, um, you know people don't necessarily know each other. So actually, to be able to bring people together who can work, um, you know, can work together, um, you know, I find you know I find quite that. I mean, that's what I find inspiring. Excellent. Question number two for you: um, What what books do you read? Okay, so um, I I buy I buy lots of books and particularly um, particularly business business books and cookery books and uh, don't get don't get enough enough time to to read them, but my absolute favourite uh, at the moment and this probably won't um, won't surprise you is rethinking real estate um, by Drawer uh, Pollock. Yeah. So um, another good plug for Drawer. Another good plug for draw, and um, you know we met we met through social media. You know, as as you do, I I bought the book as soon as soon as it came out at the end of of last year, and you know it, it is just it really is. I think everybody in real estate should um, should read it, and I don't I don't get um, commission, but it just really makes you think, you know, about the purpose of you know the different you know sectors of real estate and what is likely to happen. And he looks at it from a sort of sociological viewpoint. So I read the book, immediately got in touch with him, and said, "Can I do you know Can I do a London book launch for you?" And so we um, we we did that. Just shortly before lockdown, actually, and, and Charlie Green at the office group, you know, very kindly hosted it, and I got to interview uh, Draw for the podcast, and I also interviewed him on stage, and it, um, you know, he, you know, who could have, you know, um, thought that all this was going to happen, and the, the thing he was concerned about when when the book was published, it was just before. We work IPO was due to happen, so nobody nobody quite knew what was going to happen with this. But obviously, well, I think um, it's more new. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, but obviously a pandemic, um, yeah. you know, you know, coming, you know, coming a couple of months later was not something you know that came from left field. Um, but um, it, it does mean that a lot of the you know trends that he identified in the book have just somehow accelerated by about five years. So that's you know that that is that's my go-to book at the moment excellent well drawers i i, I like 
the, the, my favorite aspect, I love history. So my favorite aspect of the book is so many references, historical references that he makes yeah. um, to, to teach us um, how people thought and experienced space and property in the past and how the parallels to today, even though things are upside down today, so many parallels. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Totally fascinating. And, um, you know, just things that you don't, necessarily think about, you know, the point he makes about retail, you know, why, you know, retail started in the first place, people who had something to sell had no other way, you know, they had to go to a market to find, you know, their, their audience, their customers, and then, you know, the big department stores and, and retail, but it actually doesn't serve a purpose anymore, other than, you know, entertainment, customer service, people do not need to go to a shop to buy things. So it certainly makes you it makes you think about things. It does indeed. I have one final question for you, Susan. And um, when we come out of lockdown uh, and we're able to travel again, where is your favorite holiday destination? <laughs> Interesting. Um, so I love I love exploring. I love exploring new places. And um, this time last year, I was in I was in Japan. Oh. And um, I planned, you know, that there just wasn't enough time to see to see everything. So I was planning another trip to um, to Japan um, this year. And, uh, you know, I would I would love to think that, um, you know, I can I can get back to to doing that. So I think that will be that will be top of uh, top of my list. Well, I don't know if it was the same time frame, but last year there was some amazing deals flying from London to Tokyo, and uh, I I've came really close to booking one. I didn't do it, and now I'm like, oh, I should have done it because I don't know when I'm going to be able to go back. No, um, exactly, and um, you know, you just you. you it was it was so easy, wasn't it? You know, you get on a plane, you could go to some you know new destination, and you know, I just hope we're going to appreciate all that more when we get back to doing it. Uh, Susan, thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. Everybody, make sure to go follow Susan on Twitter at Property She. Check out our podcast and um, hopefully join one of her digital and in the future in-person events in the near future. Thank you. And I promise the first thing I'm going to do is listen to all your podcasts. <laughs> well, make sure you listen to drawers first, because if you like this book, you're going to love his podcast. I will. Thank you very much. Thank you, Susan. And everyone listening today, until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts. Podcasts.